0: Hi, folks. The partially examined life is on a slight summer break, so in lieu of our regular episode, we're presenting a new podcast effort that I'm doing with Wes. Unlike all of our other side projects, you won't find it on Apple Podcasts. Our central hub for this new effort is Patreon.com/slash Close Reads Philosophy. Also, note that all of these episodes will be available via video as well as audio. This is Close Reads, a philosophy podcast with Mark and Wes. I'm Wes Allwyn, And I'm Mark Linton-Meyer. Uh, Wes, are you me? Am I you? Are we all together?
1: Was I supposed to have read this and <laughs> looked at this before? <laughs>
0: I'm, just, I'm just asking you intuitively. Are we all one? Are you and I
1: one? I would want to say no. In the most important sense is no.
0: Let's see why Emerson might think differently or whether I'm just mischaracterizing. The Oversoul, his essay from 1841. It starts with some uh, poetry. Do you want to read that, Wes?
1: Sure. This is a quote from Henry Moore. But souls that of his own good life partake, he loves as his own self, dear as his eye. They are to him, he'll never them forsake. When they shall die, then God himself shall die. They live, they live in blessed eternity.
0: So I think we're at least pointing at some intuitive way in which if you love something as your own self, dear, you know, we extend our sense of self. If you want to say maybe everybody is selfish, that's sort of an axiom for some people, then you'd have to qualify that by saying, but I, for instance, regard my family as dear, maybe I include them as part of myself in some sense. You know, I don't literally, I guess people, this causes relationship issues when you start being harsh with your significant other in the way that you would be harsh with yourself, right? If you if you are a very self-demanding person, if you are very hard on yourself, and you might by nature treat everybody else with some distance and respect, but once they sort of become part of your sphere, then you're just like, what the fuck? What's wrong? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Mm. Well, you know, you, you start being as mean to them as mm. you are to yourself, if you're that kind of person.
1: Right. Well, the subject of this little quotation is God, right? Souls, they- Souls that of his own good life partake. So God loves as his own self those that partake of him. He'll never forsake them. When they die, he, God himself shall die. You know, what's interesting or about this passage, or maybe even metaphysical, because it's kind of paradoxical and about God, is this idea that God might die. God might die if the people who partake in him die. We had been talking about Spinoza, where... Human beings are modes of God, just dependent on God, the, the only ultimate substance. So this reverses the dependency in a way.
0: Well, let's read the second quote here, which is not attributed to anybody, uh, but it's another a little uh, piece of poetry. Maybe Emerson wrote it himself. I, I have to assume that. Space is ample east and west, but two cannot go abreast, cannot travel in it Two, yonder masterful cuckoo crowds every egg out of the nest, quick or dead except its own a spell is laid on sod and stone night and Dave been tampered with every quality and pith surcharged and sultry with a power that works its will on age and hour. I didn't really anticipate that we'd be doing a, like a poetry examination.
1: Yeah, it, it is kind of hard to do poetry in real time because <laughs> 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 this is a complicated <laughs> <laughs> cannot travel in it to space is ample East and West.
0: I mean, there's no room you might say as a, why be a monist? why think that there's only one thing well the notion of god is supposed to be so huge so overwhelming that there's no room in the universe for anything else so that there's a theological basis for what we might want why we might want to say i am you you are me we are both god because god can't exist in a universe where there are things that are not god so he's like the the cuckoo crowd every egg out of the nest except its own Mm. That's my best guess here, but how that relates to the yeah, last couple uh, lines, I'm not sure. Night and day have been tampered with, every quality and pith surcharged and sultry with a power that's worked its will on age and hour. seems like you could have just removed that.
1: Well, yeah. So it's ending with this idea of night and day have been tampered with. So a spell is laid on sod and stone. So there's something as a divine presence, I guess, in the world. Surcharged, sultry with a power. So that's the second part of this little stanza. Is this, it seems like there's an idea of, you know, of a God imminent in nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the first part, I think the interpretation you gave is, is a good start. So I, I think maybe, yeah, we'll have to read, look at the uh, expository portion of this <laughs> to yes, start getting I, an idea. We have a general yes. idea of what Emerson's about. So uh, All right. Yeah.
0: You want to start reading the beginning there? Sure. This is of the, of the, the prose itself.
1: There is a difference between one and another hour of life in their authority and subsequent effect. Our faith comes in moments, our vice is habitual, yet there is a depth in those brief moments which constrains us to ascribe more reality to them than to all other experiences. For this reason, the argument which is always forthcoming to silence those who conceive extraordinary hopes of men, namely the appeal to experience, is forever invalid and vain. We give up the past to the objector, and yet we hope. We must explain hope. We grant that human life is mean, but how did we find out that it was mean? What is the ground of this uneasiness of ours, of the old discontent? What is the universal sense of want and ignorance, but the fine innuendo by which the soul makes its enormous claim? Why do men feel that the natural history of man has never been written, but he is always leaving behind what you have said of him, and it becomes old and books of metaphysics worthless? These are all still questions which I... The philosophy of 6,000 years has not searched the chambers and magazines of the soul. In its experiments, there has always remained, in the last analysis, a residuum it could not resolve. Man is a stream whose source is hidden. Our being is descending into us from we know not whence. The most exact calculator has no prescience that, somewhat incalculable, may not bulk the next very moment. I am constrained every moment to acknowledge a higher origin for events that I will call mine.
0: All right, so what a mouthful. Uh,
1: (laughs) Faith comes in moments, our vice is habitual. That's a nice little line. As in, our ordinary habitual mode in life is vicious or filled with vice, and we have these rare moments where we have faith in something more, and and I suppose that goes along with virtue.
0: Yeah, he's saying that we ascribe more reality to these brief moments of faith than to all other experiences. So it seems like he's describing, well... William James, a variety of religious experience was later, but I think he was pretty influenced by Emerson. And Emerson certainly has all sorts of mystics in mind or just the more ordinary, what's the purpose of church is, you know, to we have these songs, we have these rituals, we sort of get ourselves in a mindset that we can have faith and hope in a way that you might also be able to do in other ways by looking at the sunset or beholding art or some other things. But it's not the kind of empiricism would sort of say, look to experience, and experience happens all the time, and maybe the Buddhists are right, that life is basically suffering, you know, you're uncomfortable more often than you're comfortable, so if we were just reading clearly by, like, count the moments of your day, and in which of them does it seem sort of crappy, and which of them does it seem divine, well, the quantity is going to go to the crappy, but the quality, the ones that we actually emphasize, the ones that stick with us, that we remember, that seem important to us, according to Emerson, are the divine ones.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we look to experience, I think that's a there's a double meaning there in scientific naturalism, right? So the, this is evocative of the idea that we are determined. There's a little bit of an existentialist strain to this. And it's also the experience of just, okay, yeah, things have sucked <laughs> in the past for the most part. And we are sinners and we always fail. And so if we want to conceive of ourselves as free, I know I'm introducing freedom here and that may be illegitimate, we can find out. But if we want to have hope, we are directed towards the future, right? Our projects, maybe. So we give up the past to the objector, and yet we hope. In retrospect, we can always identify the ways in which we are determined and the evidence for the idea that hope is fruitless and there's no such thing as freedom and blah, blah, blah. But He's saying that the subjector in, w- in, in a way always loses because there's always a future. Hope is as as possible as the fact of our futurity, I guess. But
0: We're going to have to see whether monism and the stream of time are actually compatible, right? If literally the God, the one crowds out the nest, every other sort of egg, then it seems like, as it says, it works its will on age and hour. In other words, it's equally distributed over all these things then it could be that it's sort of illusory, the fact that the future is different than the past. Maybe we have to say that time is an illusion, or I'm just throwing open an issue possibly to address here.
1: Yeah. The philosophy of 6,000 years has not gotten to the bottom of things, basically. So at the end of this paragraph, we're left with this idea that the absurdity, by which I mean the inexplicability of whatever is at the foundation of our source as human beings, whatever drives us, maybe you could say, whatever we might take to be instinctual, or maybe that's the wrong word. But human essence is something that we can't plumb philosophically. So there's a little hint here that the, you know, that only some sort of mysticism is going to be adequate to this. This is part of the response to the idea that everything is determined. And when we look at the past, we can see that in retrospect, and that we are just animals and driven by needs and desires and things like that. I'm constrained every moment to acknowledge a higher origin for events than the will I call mine. So regardless of how things look from an experience or naturalistic standpoint, there's a mystery there, which points to something divine, points to a higher origin.
0: Right, and it's uh, you know, a sentence from the middle, what is the universal sense of want and ignorance, but the fine innuendo by which the soul makes its enormous claim? That this is an inescapable thing, this religious urge or whatnot, that it seeds the seeds of optimism are are right there in Mm. pessimistic observations of the world. Right.
1: Mm.
0: You know, we only notice and react to suffering because the next steps of the the Buddhist path or whatever are there, that there is a way out of suffering. There is, you know, there's has to be hope. All right. Let's keep going. Part
1: of our suffering is spiritual, which.
0: Yeah. As with events. So it is with Thoughts. When I watch that flowing river, which out of regions I see not, pours for a season, it streams into me. I see that I am a pensioner, not a cause, but a surprised spectator of this ethereal water. That I desire and look up and put myself in the attitude of reception, but from some alien energy, the visions come. I think that it's just saying in poetic (laughs) words what we've already said here. Uh, But what is this? When I watch that flowing river, which out of regions I see not, pours for a season, it streams into me. So it's sort of, this is getting at if the the one, the whole, is something that we participate in, well, it is dynamic. It is not merely something atemporal, as I was just musing about, where we discover that past and present are in fact one, but it is a flowing river. And at least the way that we show up is that being flows into us for a while and then we die and it's gone. It keeps on flowing, but not through I'm a mere surprise spectator of this ethereal water.
1: Yeah. Some alien and en- from some alien energy divisions come. This is sort of like our relationship to the muse in the context of art um, right. or a relationship to instinct. So, so there's something at bottom, which which drives us, that pours its streams into us. And,
0: and it doesn't sound here like he's talking about We are dependent freedom. on that. We are not yeah. in control. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It doesn't sound like here that he's emphasizing freedom.
1: No, no, yeah. Here he's emphasizing dependency on the, well, some version of the divine. It does sound very Spinozan. God, God is nature, type of thing. But
0: yeah, keep on going.
1: All right. The supreme critic on the errors of the past and the present, and the only prophet of that which must be, is that great nature in which we rest, as the earth lies in the soft arms of the atmosphere. That unity, that Oversoul within which every man's particular being is contained and made one with all other that common heart of which all sincere conversation is the worship, which all right action is submission, that overpowering reality which confutes our tricks and talents and constrains everyone to pass for what he is and to speak from his character and not from his tongue and which evermore tends to pass into our thought and hand and become wisdom and virtue and power and beauty. All right, let's let's, let's stop there. Yeah,
0: Yeah, this is going to be a long paragraph, so yeah what yeah, do we um, think so among
1: many <laughs> among many think, long paragraphs but
0: what do we think so far of that i mean that it, it is describing this river as the soft arms of the atmosphere that unity the oversoul which within every man's particular being is contained and made one with all other that common heart of which all sincere conversation is the worship so it is something we're contained within it therefore makes us one with each other that seems weird right there, right? The fact that, you know, the universe is something we're contained in. And so uh, you and I are fellow creatures in the universe. That doesn't make me you, right? So it has to be containing seems a strange, you know, we have to, if you think of it as like the Jungian collective unconscious or something like that, then, I mean, in a sense, I, it's a portal basically in my head, right? It's It's part of my unconscious. So it's contained within me, But if it is quantitatively the same within me as it is in yours, they're not just copies of each other that we inherit. Well, this is a question they could be uh, qualitatively identical, right? Because we have similar DNA. And so the group memories, the whatever this is parading back into infinity is going to be the same qualitatively in me than than in you. But if we want to say that we are one, then we're not merely like each other. They have to be numerically identical. They have to you know, be one and the same thing, which is why I characterized it as like, we each have a portal in us and the portal goes to the same place. It is the oversoul. Maybe the oversoul is still something that contains all of us, but we have to, in that sense, contain it. I'm not sure how to make, how to match these metaphors together of containment. It contains us. And yet we're all one where it's a, it's a connecting force
1: well is he as he said we're all one yet which every man's particular contained and
0: made one with all other so my Mm, particular being is one with all other being that common heart yeah yeah so a common heart does that mean we have similar hearts we have the heart of humanity i have the heart of humanity you have the heart of humanity or do we literally metaphysically have the same heart you know that the spirit of god which is one is within all of us you know the Holy Ghost.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think trying to work this out metaphysically <laughs> will create some problems. But so he starts out by talking about nature as the supreme critic, which is a really interesting way to think of nature, especially given the direction that he's going with this idea of oversoul and unity. Supreme critic of the errors of the past and the present, which I think has something to do with natural consequences, right? So our aspira it sounds like in this paragraph, he's, he's giving an account of the way in which our aspirations are thwarted, the best laid plans of mice and men. So which, you know, every man's later on can, you know, overpowering reality, which confutes our tricks and talents, constrains everyone to pass for what he is, right? So we might try to transcend our character, but we end up repeating it and being constrained by it. This goes back to habit in the first paragraph. But on the other hand, we end with something positive, which is some of the um, Aristotelian virtues. So which, which character can be the basis for? But anyway, sorry, I'm just trying to reconcile that with the middle part of this, which is about, as you said, the oversoul and the unity of our being. It's interesting. So, you know, the common heart, if it belongs to all human beings, he calls sincere conversation the worship of that. So that is our way of communion. And this is an interesting idea, right? Because we might think of communion properly speaking as being with god being with this divine otherworldly entity at least that's where the worship is directed mm-hmm. right we don't think of the worship as towards the community itself so this in a way this seems to yeah to recast god or the divine as the as the collective but then you know i'm not so sure of that now because that overpowering reality so I guess it's yeah. the same thing. You know, if nature if nature and collective humanity some, somehow come to the same thing, then, then this all makes sense to some extent. I don't know how to make – to resolve the metaphysical questions. Of, you know,
0: well, it has to be – so it's the we, ennobling yeah. part of us. Uh, I mean, it also – I mean, it's God. It's <laughs> – right? The only proper attitude is submission, is worship. Yeah. But God has a particular relationship to us. That it lets, it connects us with each other. It is, you know, we each have a a divine spark or something within us, however we want to. And not only does it constrain each one to pass for what he is and, you know, confutes our tricks and talents. In other words, like, it is our nature that we ultimately have to submit to just because that's the kind of finite creatures we are, but it ennobles us. It becomes wisdom, and virtue, and power, and beauty. And so by surrendering to this, it's not like we're surrendering to our brute nature. You're trying to be all noble, but you're really just a stupid animal, and just go act like that. Like, no, no, what we really are, are these divine luminous beings. And so submitting to that is actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two senses of submission, I think, in this part of the paragraph. One is Nature punishes our punishes our folly our tricks and talents our attempt to overpower it and we are overpowered in that sense but ultimately i think once we you know we get shaped and we're, we're kind of driven through experience towards the development of these virtues so if we if we let nature slash god slash oversoul speak through us then instead of fighting but all right yeah. shall we shall we keep, keep going? sure leave you the next part Yep. We live in succession, in division, in parts, in particles. Meantime, within man is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. Capital and O, deep, capital N, capital E. <laughs> and this deep power in which we exist and whose beatitude is all accessible to us is not only self-sufficing and perfect in every hour, but the act of seeing and the thing seen. The seer and the spectacle, the subject and the object, are one. We see the world piece by piece, as the sun, the moon, the animal, the tree, but the whole of which these are shi- of which these are the shining parts is the soul. Only by the vision of that wisdom can the horoscope of the ages be read, and by falling back on our better thoughts, by yielding to the spirit of prophecy which is innate in every man, we can know what is safe.
0: Let's let's stop uh, stop there. I, okay, I, you know, I think sort of disregarding the last part you know that we we have where we're starting to uh talk about prophecy and uh but we we have the more of the metaphysics here we live in succession so again time it seems like this has to ultimately be overcome right we live in division we live in parts we live in particles if we focus on just that one time slice you don't actually see the the universe you don't have you know you that portal is not there uh, meanwhile, within man is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related. The eternal ones, eternal. So this just sounds like there is this portal or whatever that can transcend the unitary experiences, which, again, per the first paragraph, are probably mostly of irritation and suffering and doubt.
1: Portal. Where are you getting portal? Uh, I mean, this is me?
0: I'm, I'm just trying to 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 figure what would make sense. Uh, I mean, what does it mean to you within the soul of the whole? I mean, I'm I'm sort of imagining that there is ever present within us right now, the focus of your consciousness, might be the activity that you're involved in the, the, the feelings of, uh, you know, you could do a whole phenomenology of the, of the moment, but there's always going to be sort of in the back of your mind. If you just look back there, some sort of divine spark, I was saying portal because it seems like a way that you could if you focus very much on that, you could enter some sort of mystical state and realize you could sort of identify with that rather than with this upfront momentary stuff. But that's mm. just my guess at what would be a useful uh, yeah. doors of perception, I mean, I, man.
1: Uh, yeah, I would put, you know, but I, I, I would put some emphasis here on the transcendentalist. The thing that's going on which is to say that he really does seem to be identifying god with with nature and and we can think of this in terms of you know the the end point of naturalistic explanation right so if we because he, he he's evoking that in his talk of parts and particles we can give a causal explanation and we can give one that involves us drilling down vertically so to speak and dividing things up into parts and maybe getting to some ultimate atom or to some fundamental force. And then that fundamental force is inexplicable. Um, and you could think of it as quote unquote being per se, whatever that is. You could think of that bedrock layer, maybe the, like the, the undersheet. <laughs> the, 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 sorry, for some reason I was thinking of the bed and the, the, uh, the, the fitted sheet that goes under everything. But anyway, whatever the base, you know, layer, uh, uh the tablecloth of reality, <laughs> along which everything is, is, uh, upon which everything is laid out. Um, you know, whatever that thing is at bottom, you could call this that it, it, it's mysterious. It's uncaused. It can't be explained. Um, it unites everything in the sense that it is the concatenating, force, right? Um, something is making atoms or, or I'm sorry, subatomic particles do what they, what they do and why, I mean, there's, there's no good reason <laughs> for them to behave that way. And so we refer to that mystery, that fundamental force, you, you, you know, you can see how that would inspire awe and, and a sense of mystery. And then that can become the basis for a relationship to the divine. And I, you know, I completely understand this feeling. It's a kind like, I, when I like look at these deep field shots that, that have tons of galaxies in them. And I think about the scale of things and, and the, and the craziness of it, right. Just the kind of unlikely nature of it all. It, you know, it, it induces a little bit of a religious feeling in me, even though I'm not religious and I don't, in a way I don't get religion. That's why I have problems with our Eastern Quasi-religious episodes. <laughs> in, a way, in a way, it's like the idea of a personal god is very foreign to me because I didn't grow up with it. So, but this type of thing, you know, I I, I at an intuitive level, I get it.
0: All right. Well, so we'll, I, setting aside the uh, right, if I if I use that metaphor of a door, that implies that it the godhood is elsewhere. You were saying mm-hmm. it's just nature. We're within nature, so that you know we're in the container. And nature is, you know, our DNA. Oh, I'm so similar to you. We have such similar DNA and we have such similar DNA to all that. You know, we could say there are things literally inside us that are codes and symbols and representatives of nature and sort of enforce nature's will on us, right? By obeying instinct, by obeying DNA, by obeying, you know, what's been pumped into me by evolution since the dawn of of, uh, life.
1: You know, we're familiar with this, like in Schopenhauer, where what is the thing in itself, the will, ultimately, and there's a big over will of which all will is a part that turns out to be God. And we are intimately familiar with the thing in itself. We're not cut off from it, as Kant would say, because we're inside it. We know what it's like to be, you know, we have wills. We know personally what it's like to be a thing in itself in a way. And the same thing with, you know, I think Hegel, where... What is it to know the fundamental reality? It's to know oneself. Substance ultimately turns out to be subject. All that kind of stuff, I think. And then what we are seeing in Schlegel, the Schlegels and Schiller with the relationship to the absolute being an aesthetic relationship and aware of the infinite in the finite, right? There are elements of that here. But for emerson that awareness of the infinite and the finite in the parts and the particles and the rest of it and human individual human beings that infinite i think he thinks you know has something to do with instinct maybe right so instead of schopenhauer and will it's not like they're unrelated but these deep drives maybe even unconscious but but anyway that's a bit of speculation here so
0: yeah and if you don't get any of those references well you know you can catch up on the partially examined life i hope you're enjoying close reads all Close Reads episodes are shot with video and will always provide a link to the text so you can read along if you'd like. Enrollment for my Core Texts in Philosophy class, running over 10 non-consecutive weeks this fall, is now open. Get details at partiallyexaminedlife.com slash class. Space is very limited, so act quickly. I want to tell you about a much-beloved podcast, Drilled a true crime podcast about climate change. You may often wonder why oil companies spend so much money producing feel-good ads unrelated to what the companies actually do. On Drilled's new miniseries, Herb, host Amy Westervelt tells the story of Herb Schmertz, the mobile VP who got the oil guys into the corporate free speech business back in the 1970s. Amy uncovers how Herb's work influenced all this nefarious feel-good messaging from oil companies today and explores Mobile's role in setting the legal foundation for the expansion of corporate free speech in Supreme Court cases from Bellotti to Citizens United. Listen to Drilled wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep going here. So now we get some practical stuff out of this. Only by the vision of that wisdom can the horoscope of the ages be read by falling back on our better thoughts, by yielding to the spirit of prophecy, which is innate in every man, can we know what it saith? Every man's words who speaks from that life must sound vain to those who do not dwell in the same thought on their own part. I dare not speak for it. My words do not carry its august sense. They fall short and cold. Only itself can inspire whom it will. And behold, their speech shall be lyrical and sweet and universal as the rising of the wind. Yet I desire, even by profane words, if I may not use sacred, to indicate the heaven of this deity and to report what hints I have collected of the transcendent simplicity and energy of the highest law. All right.
1: Finally, we get the word transcendent.
0: <laughs> transcendent simplicity. So I'd, you know, said that this was practical. It's practical in what he's already said that, you know, we get wisdom, we get prophecy, he says here. We can. Well, I mean, why is the spirit of prophecy innate in every man other than what he's just said that we innately think, according to this, that history will progress, that things will get better, that the irritations of the day, the holes that have been in past philosophy, it just points to those holes being filled, to there being a fullness, to be there being a progression, a hope. I mean, is this the same as just that the medievals, I'm conscious that I am finite and so that implies a yearning looking for epistemologically the infinite right that that's what prophecy here amounts to is that things have been a little bad so far and that just cries out again for an expectation that they will be better
1: yeah only by the vision of that wisdom if the spirit of prophecy is innate in every one of us it has to be in this the sense in which we are all part of the oversoul and mm-hmm. in touch at a deep level with the the force that imbues everything and runs everything, so that if we get in touch with that, then we can be prophetic or have the spirit of prophecy. and then the, the the question is what prophecy means, right? because in the in the biblical sense, it is specifically about the coming of a savior in a more generic astrological sense, or maybe not just astrological, but it's just about future predicting the future, including calamities, right. What's that guy's name? Nostradamus? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it's probably not that kind of prophecy. But I mean, the way he continues here, it's almost like he's he's saying there's something poetic about it. It, it almost sounds like the idea of prophecy kind of fuses with the ability to be poetic to express, uh, you know, again the absolute through the aesthetic. And he gets modest. I dare not speak for it. My words do not carry its, so I guess, it sense. Well, Emerson, you are pretty. You are you are up there. <laughs> towards the top. Uh, It's a little bit of false modesty. Calls his words profane instead of sacred. He knows that his writing kicks ass, right? Who can write like this? Almost no one. So what he's doing, I think, counts as part of the the spirit of prophecy that he's talking about. Just being in touch with this this transcendent oversoul.
0: Yeah, I mean, this raises a question of the overall adequacy of language to express this thing that we have in common. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm, again, thinking of we just... Partial examined life dealt with the romantics and that the best that language can do is symbolize and point to. And that's what he's doing right here. He's saying mm. these words I'm saying can't actually do it. But if you look within yourself as a response to my words, then you're gonna be able to experience that thing. And you know, insofar as you are trying to speak of it, you can never do justice to it any more than I can in talking right now. But maybe what holy words are or is, is sort of a, a shared, indefinite reference to something that each of us experiences only internally. Mm. I mean, maybe all emotion words should do the, to the same thing. I, not to, to mm. pull us into a whole Wittgensteinian. Yeah, uh, I knew, I knew in, you wanted in, to go
1: there. Private language. And...
0: <laughs> yeah. But that's that's essentially what he's been saying is that you can see whether you want to call it a portal or a germ or a divine presence or something. You know this thing that clearly you must experience in some sense because you can sometimes get flashes of it and you can submit to and all this stuff that he's talking about, then, hey, your speech will be lyrical and sweet and universal. So somehow, even though you're talking, relating your private experience, because it has the same source as mine, because we have the same thing at bottom within us, then it's going to be universal.
1: Yeah, you're reminding me of our schlegel episode and the distinction between style and manner particular artistic product can be a result of my quirks of character my particular character and so mannered in that sense but i can turn that into a style and this is um hints of there hints of nietzsche here but you know if i do something conscious with it and own it and i'm not just run by it i can turn it into a style and then there is only one style ultimately mm mm-hmm. And that's universal, right? So if we if we really if all of us really worked on ourselves to the point where we were fashioning our particular characters and, and it's the, the aesthetics of that and the aesthetic products of that and to develop them to our fullest, to develop them to their fullest would cause them to converge. And so the the there's always the element of the universal in that. So thankfully we're not there, right? So we get to enjoy a variety of different <laughs> styles, even if it means they're corrupted a little bit by manner. But anyway. I, I can continue. Yeah, go ahead. If we consider what happens in conversation, in reveries, in remorse, in times of passion, in surprises, in the instructions of dreams, wherein often we see ourselves in masquerade, the droll disguises only magnifying and enhancing a real element and forcing it on our distinct notice, we shall catch many hints that will broaden and lighten into knowledge of the secret of nature. All goes to show that the soul in man is not an organ, but animates and exercises all organs. Is not a function, like the power of memory or calculation or comparison, but uses these as hands and feet. Is not a faculty, but a light. Is not the intellect or the will, but the master of the intellect and the will. Is the background of our being, in which they lie, an immensity not possessed and that cannot be possessed. From within or from behind, a light shines through us upon things and makes us aware that we are nothing but the light is all. A man is the facade of a temple wherein all wisdom and all good abide. What we commonly call man, the eating, drinking, planting, counting man, does not, as we know him, represent himself, but misrepresents himself. Him we do not respect, but the soul, whose organ he is, would he let it appear through his action... "...would make our knees bend. When it breathes through his intellect, it is genius. When it breathes through his will, it is virtue. When it flows through his affection, it is love. And the blindness of the intellect begins when it would be something of itself. The weakness of the will begins when the individual would be something of himself. All reform aims in some one particular to let the soul have its way through us. In other words, to engage us to obey."
0: So I guess we're uh, God's automatons. We're God's hand puppets. And if, we're, <laughs> if we're so, I don't want to be a hand puppet. I want to do my my own thing. Then you know, we introduce weakness of the will. We introduce blindness of the intellect. We're we're denying our fundamental not freedom unless it, we it end sounds up very taoist with
1: the freedom. Right? Yeah. It sounds kind of Taoist, and the don't struggle, just let no let, let go, man. Get in touch with that force that flows through you am i getting it yeah i i i
0: think so and we get some hints here is the the light you know what what is the proper metaphor all all goes to show that the soul and man is not an organ but animates and exercises all the organs so we don't want to say a a principle it is a, a force i mean it seems like it is the agency of the body right if we want to say nature sets up us up with as systems you know, we've got this little, little bit of thing that is our consciousness that is, what am I going to do today? I'm going to go eat some breakfast. But then we have all these wider systems set up by nature that are thinking in a sense that are, you know, even in deciding, I think I'm making this free choice to eat breakfast or whatever, it's actually the system as a whole that is engaging the little conscious reasoning part of us to say, Sure. do this job for, for me. I mean, so this sounds like wh- what you were saying as it's nature, but it's not nature as a giant clockwork mechanism. It's nature as God. And the difference of that is it's progressive and the different systems need to be somehow aware of each other in a way that they wouldn't be if every little thing in nature was just a little clockwork mechanism that evolution had built. Cause then there would be no necessary connection between my mechanism and your mechanism, or even within ourselves, we might have individual mechanisms that, you know, we're trying to do this thing. Like he, he's clearly by saying there could be weakness of the will, he's allowing that there are these systems that can get out of joint, but we want them to ultimately harmonize with all the other systems and that is what submission to god's will although he's not saying it in that way is
1: submission to nature yeah you're you're reminding me of nietzsche's emphasis on drive harmony um mm-hmm. as a form of freedom in the psychological sense right he's very down on metaphysical free will but there's that psychological integration versus versus of version of freedom where you don't have all these conflicting drives that are you know the drive cl- conflicts are resolved and the right drive is kind of in charge it's not the will that's in charge but it's the the uber drive but i like this you know we the eating drinking counting man planting he misrepresents himself so all of these ego instincts all of these survival things that we do are are animal selves are you know when when we look at our, ourselves through that lens yeah we're just we're just animals and it's it's kind of a hopeless point of view there is nothing higher and um
0: you're just gonna get hungry again why bother yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and then uh but so the idea of misrepresentation you know these things are driven by the the divine in a way they're manifestations i think you were saying something like it runs the body or so and then it's when we try when we so it does sound very instinctual in a way or there's or there's some aspect of instinct which through which we can tap into a relationship to the divine and let that run us. Let that speak through us, again, a variation on on the inspiration by the muse. So and and then it's when we try, right? The blindness of the intellect begins when it would be something of itself, when it's not submitting to this force, the weakness of the will begins. You know, so, so here he's recasting the weakness of the will, not as, oh, I have all these instincts and my reason can't properly suppress it. I'm not, you know, I, I don't have a um, strong enough will. No, it's actually when we try to interfere too much, when we don't go with the flow, that that type of thing crops up for us. And there's a truth. There's kind of a truth to that, right? The more we try to control ourselves, the more we kind of rebel the more relaxed, the more we relax a little bit, sometimes paradoxically, that can um, help us with our habits. But anyway. All
0: right. Let's see if we can do a couple more paragraphs. Of this pure nature, every man is at some time sensible. Language cannot paint it with his colors. It is too subtle. It is undefinable, unmeasurable, but we know that it pervades and contains us. We know that all spiritual being is in man. A wise old proverb said... God comes to see us without bell. That is, as there is no screen or ceiling between our heads and the infinite heavens, so there is no bar or wall in the soul where man, the effect, ceases, and God, the cause, begins. The walls are taken away. We lie open on one side to the deeps of spiritual nature, to the attributes of God. Justice we see and know, love, freedom, power. These natures no man ever got above, but they tower over us, and most in the moment when our interests tempt us to wound them. I'm trying to figure out as we go through here, are we able to identify with the divine nature? I mean, it seems like that is going to be the point. Hey, you think you're just the eating, drinking, counting man, but that's not what humanity is at all. You, the person who's hearing these words, are in fact this power This underlying power and rather than identify yourself with the measly little systems within it, the effects within it, the things that are blind to the larger scheme, you should just realize that you actually are God. Mm -hmm. But you can't really feel that exactly. I mean, you could have a mystical experience. You could have a a general sense of grace. You could have a sense of the Holy Spirit, however you want to put it. You know, we can't do ESP. If I'm one with everything, I should be able to tell where my keys are upstairs without having to go look for them. I should be able to tell where <laughs> your keys are, even though I don't know where you put them. And that doesn't work. So there always has well, to be, even, it seems, <laughs> yeah,
1: some division. It's even worse than that, because it's not just that you're God, it's Betty from HR is also God, the one who lets like the grease from her sandwich drip down her face <laughs> <laughs> at lunchtime and is completely absent-minded <laughs> and mindless she's god as well everyone has god speaking through them anyway the point of that joke is just to point out that like our fallenness and our folly that those are the most obvious things about humanity all the stupid things we do it's very hard to to get into this frame of mind maybe it's easier with oneself you know if you meditate or if you're engaged in an artistic project where you're in the flow so to speak you can i think get into this idea that there's you're you're tapping into some Divine source that is within and and underlies all things, and that you are more than just your finite self. But if you think about humanity as a whole, <laughs> this is the way the essay began. You know, if you if you look at it from the standpoint of hindsight and the critical frame of mind, I think it's very hard to, to see people, he, human beings, as as God, right?
0: Yeah. So maybe it's it's more the hope that you see the yeah, potential the within each of us, no matter where we're at to even Betty to have this
1: (laughs) from HR, but
0: this points at something of the way this is typically talked about is increasing self-consciousness or somehow an expansion of consciousness, expand your mind, expand your consciousness. And so you could say that the human being as someone who is, has some possible distance. I'm thinking of the Schiller that we just read in partially examined life. That we can abstract, we can reason, we can pull ourselves away from merely being determined, which will get us into all of the sort of suffering and conflicts with each other, conflicts within ourselves. I don't see, I'm not optimistic about non-human creatures, certainly not rocks and plants being able to expand themselves you know so those
1: motherfuckers are never going to learn right
0: right yeah so you know where's where is the line like are are we really thinking that like schiller was trying to argue that we could we could engineer a social program of consciousness raising wokeism let's call it Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. to
0: to use a, a more original source for that term
1: Emerson was the original wokest transcendental awakening. It was not (laughs) merely
0: recognizing some particular historical facts about racism or about whatever, but it was about literally realizing our relation to the divine. And somehow that would I mean, you can't be a sectarian. You can't be a racist if you're like, we're all basically one. Right. You know, every human being that has this power of language and hence the power of abstraction is able to get at in a way that maybe animals are not, or maybe animals always do. And it's just that language has introduced to us a fallenness. And maybe this is the solution that actually rocks and plants don't have to get back in touch with their nature they're already in there and even though there's conflicts and the trees in the forest are going to try to crowd each other out and i'm going to take your shade and you're going to take my shade and the the carnivores are going to eat the herbivores and the herbivores are going to eat the plants all that kind of conflict that's fine they don't have to get yeah, over that but like not, that's not like war yeah. that's not like our hatred and prejudice we do need that's only a result of our
1: our fallen humanity and we can get yeah. over that our divided nature yeah. you know part of God, part of animal, and reason versus instinct, all that stuff. So we are divided in the way that other natural entities are are not. They're naturally at one with themselves. But I want to say, even though your woke thing was an aside slash maybe a bit of a joke, there is a very interesting connection because it is a consciousness-raising activity, right? In the tradition of Marx and trying to help the proletariat, for instance, understand awakened to the ideology of the bourgeoisie, right? Who say, oh, this class system is natural and this is just the way things are. That ideological misrepresentation of what is natural and inevitable, that's part of the woke critique. So what we're, for the woke, and as you know, as everyone knows by now, I'm very critical of this, but I'm also thinking a lot about it in 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 an attempt to be fair. But the idea is that you are waking up to the power of discourse to construct your identity. So what you're becoming aware of, if you if you're saying, you know, if you're saying wokeness in a way is about getting in touch with your own racism, it's not just your racist unconscious biases, but even though that's often what people mean, it's the way in which your discourse has constructed your identity as complicit in a certain type of power relation. So for instance, whiteness, and you can conceive of that, which is like a character trait, right? It's a it's a part and parcel of character under this theory, and it can you could be constructed so as to have an inherently supremacist point of view. Whiteness could be a concept that depends upon some subjected other. That could be the very meaning of it, and that could be built into your identity. So what you wake up to in that sense is not Just the divine power in you, but the way discourse, and by the way, discourse is the replacement for God, right? Because it ultimately starts with discourse is just a linguistic version, a descendant of Hegel's absolute. Um, Ultimately, there's nothing outside of the text, right? Discourse just becomes the whole in which we are embedded. So that is our God, and unfortunately, it's not entirely a good God. We could be corrupted by it, and we have to reform it, we have to make it better, and then reconstruct ourselves according to that discourse. Anyway, I I just think you brought up a very interesting point connecting it to the concept of an ideological awakening, right? Consciousness raising. I think that's very important.
0: Sure. And just like, I mean, I'm also trying to think that the romanticism that a lot of this is reflecting was also co-opted by fascism. And so there seems to be room here, right? Nietzsche thought that it's certainly not everybody. He didn't have hope. That most people that Betsy from HR or whatever, whatever, whatever is, are going to be able to raise them. You know, he was he was it's Betty,
1: Mark, not Betsy. And she's tired of that mistake. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, he was self-consciously an elitist. And so Mm -hmm. there is room to. I think elitism is an easier path than somehow the German national spirit is going to be able to be woke in this way but yet those foreigners are not like that seems no. you should be an elitist even among your own people and say Hmm. it's only the german intellectuals are going to be able to to do this kind of thing (laughs) but emerson as an american as a good american was probably thinking in much more egalitarian terms and i think language is maybe the key here as as he said the discourse that anybody who's capable of discourse is capable of this consciousness raising. And I like the idea that anybody that is not really capable of this discourse doesn't have the problem to solve in the first place. I'm not sure if this is really a good thing to write into Emerson, but it certainly makes the whole thing. Well I'm just even even human beings that, you know, have a developmental disability, you know, children. Very small children. I remember talking to somebody, a relative of mine. So rocks,
1: who, children, who, no, who was
0: who was saying like, "Oh, children, they're so in touch. They they kind of speak mm. the language of nature. They don't need to." Part of me thinks that that is really silly. That is, you know, because you could see how profoundly selfish children are. Yeah. Uh, insofar as they can explain anything, how you know, if there's not somebody that has weakness of the will or is blind. I you know if a child is if a baby is not that i don't know I don't know what is <laughs> mm. um but uh you yeah. know we could at least explore at least it makes it solves the problem of elitism maybe it it replaces with with the problem of being patronizing that oh it's mm. okay, you don't have to become woke, you're already just you know an idiot savant, basically <laughs> that is mm. already in touch with nature, and so unlike me. An intellectual who is a fallenness mm-hmm. to my, uh, you know, I can't, I'm trying to remember which uh, which piece of literature I'm recalling that, sure, I'll remember it, but where this uh, character is, you know, watching the ordinary people and the way that they deal with each other and like, oh, that's so natural and I am so alone. I think this was Siddhartha Herman Hess. That's what I'm thinking mm. of. Oh, I, as the, the poor misunderstood intellectual, I am so alone. If only I could recover that innocent character. I mean, yeah. So that's the sort of patronizing thing that would be replaced by
1: all the rednecks <laughs> around me. If only I could they go ac- to the monster truck rally. Yeah, they actually and enjoy themselves and be able to enjoy that. and
0: They can enjoy yes, sporting to, events med- and drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, oh.
1: Well, I, I have to go, but I will say I do frequently wonder what the fuck I'm doing, plowing my way through philosophy texts as opposed to going monster, to, you know, and I could just be drinking beer and and relaxing. But anyway, whatever.
0: All right. Thanks everybody but, for hanging around uh, yeah. this. We'll talk about whether uh, you know, maybe you can make some comments. Do you want to hear more of this Emerson stuff? Or do you feel like, you know, you probably got the point?
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm enjoying this too much. All right, then we'll do to let's, just see we're gonna do it all. Let's <laughs>
0: promise a part two. And all right. based on the amount of this, I would say a part three <laughs> But maybe we can. Well, I think we can
1: start. Way. We we started going faster, and I think we can move a little bit more quickly now. But
0: yeah. All right. So long, everybody.
1: Right. Thank you.
0: If you enjoy Close Reads, go subscribe at patreon.com slash Close Reads Philosophy or support the Partially Examined Life and Close Reads together at patreon.com slash partially examined life, signing up at the $10 a month citizen plus tier. Either way, you'll be paying $5 a month for at least four episodes per month. There are three more parts to this Emerson discussion, and they will all be up there within this week. We also, prior to this, recorded a three part series on Hegel's History of Philosophy Lectures, specifically the section on Spinoza. Those are already available for you, and again, all of them are in podcast audio form like this, as well as in video form. In either case, they are very minimally edited, which might mean listening at a slightly higher speed than you would listen to a PEL episode. I don't know how you listen to podcasts or watch YouTube, but the point is that we're inviting you to our little study session, just like if you were on the Zoom call with us, muted. Depending on the level of support for this new project, we'd like to record them more than once a week. We'd like to have special Q&A episodes, but whether we can afford to put in that extra time depends entirely on how many supporters we get for this. Now, if you've never supported a podcast on Patreon before, they make it very easy. They give you a unique podcast feed URL. You just click on it if you're logged in from your phone and it will open the supporter podcast in your Default podcast app. You can use any podcast app, and actually, Patreon is now partners with Spotify. So, if you're a Spotify listener, you can listen to your supporter feed right through that. In any case, we encourage your feedback, your suggestions on what texts to cover in this format at closereads at com. Thanks for listening. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full
1: all day, every day. I love it.
0: Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count. Guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.